The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. Hey, this is Dr. Michael Drake, Chancellor of the University of California, Irvine, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and over the web at KUCI.org. I love Anita Radio. You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Oh my gosh, you're giggling at me again. What's that all about? No, when you were saying that they, but, you know, these are people that serve their community and stuff, uh-huh. I was thinking of what was in the OC Weekly this week, which is uh, people that had great civic values in the 1920s that have names and streets and buildings named after them, but they're also Klansmen. Oh. <laughs> so I just started thinking, well, at the real people of Orange County, we don't have any known Klansmen as guests, so that, that makes it good. Well, but, yes, yeah. that's true. We don't... <laughs> yeah. We, 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 we said meaningful capacity, not, yeah. uh, not hurtful. Well, they have. Well, that was so weird about those the people in Orange County that did that was they had the the public side of them, and then secretly they were part of the clan. So they had a dichotomy going. So but don't you think everybody has a dichotomy going though? Usually, it's not that severe. Or at least I hope not. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> I think it's entirely that severe. They just might not be Klansmen anymore. But there's oh. something. There's definitely. Don't. There's definitely. You know. Yeah. You know. I don't want to speak to the nature of everybody, but. Anyway, how the heck are you? It's been a while. I've been a busy mom. Sorry. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not doing too bad. It's weird to see you in person again, not just hearing your voice on the tape and remembering past uh, times. So, uh, um, do you miss me? When yes, I'm, away? I'm gonna miss you a lot when you're away. You're so sweet. And um, so yeah, it's been going okay. Um, just it's old job hunting, which blows. It, it's worse than buying a new car. At least a new car means that you have cash in the bank and you're ready to spend it. You're just you're just trying to ch- choose which one. This, you know, searching for a job is a completely miserable experience. It really, really is. Well, you know, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but I think I think our guest today might actually just be perfect for you. Maybe this whole concept of serendipity is at play for us today. Is he a lobotomist? Yeah, you know, well, he's he's a doctor. <laughs> he's a doctor. <laughs> but not that kind of a doctor. Oh, okay. <clears throat> he's going to be calling in shortly, but um, I'm going to I'm going to just going to say a like a word or two so that you know what's coming. Okay. But he's an internationally recognized uh, human behavior specialist. Uh-huh. And so t- he's going to talk to us about, um, you know, all the concepts that we need about gearing up for the, the new year. He's going to talk to us a little bit about why New Year's resolutions don't work, but um, also how to how to make more money and increase your self-worth. Those kinds of things we'll talk there about today. So focusing on values and um, overcoming barriers that block us from achieving our goals. Well, about <clears throat> New Year's resolutions, the one about getting in shape and staying fit, like uh, my friend on Facebook that also is a reporter, she notices that when she um, goes to the gym in January, it's completely packed. And then like, you know, six weeks later, everybody's forgotten about it. And you know, all those getting healthy kind of resolutions go away. And I've kind of noticed the same thing because I do the community pool 
and I swim laps at 5.30 in the morning, and it got really busy, and now it's starting to peter out and become normal again. So. And you're getting up at 5.30 in the morning? I just... Uh, five. I, I never call you early because I always think you're sleeping. Oh, I'm, I have really weird hours. So, so you basically swim before you go to bed. <laughs> no, I no no no. Sorry, I'm teasing. No, I, I usually I, I I usually go to bed around ten, and then I usually get up around five, swim, and then I take a nap, and then I have breakfast. So I'm usually up and going again around. Oh, that's eight. actually a good routine. Yeah, really good routine. Yeah. So you give your body the rest it needs after. Yeah, because it's an hour long swim, and then it, it you know that, that can get painful. So. Is that is that working towards your weight loss goals? Yes, I'm, I'm almost there. I, uh, yeah, so I, I was a little bit diverted from my weight loss goals on Tuesday because I actually went to LA and we I actually went to Hugh House's memorial. You did? Yes. Oh gosh, you're gonna have to tell me about that. Uh, I, I'm really I will. impressed. Yeah, it, it was real. It was a good time. It was a little bit low key. Well, it wasn't low key, but it was just a little bit more. Um, it wasn't who was expecting to talk. It was a lot of LA City Council members instead of like friends of his. Friends, so. of, yeah. So maybe this wasn't his personal service. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> so do we have our do we have our um, our guest calling in now? This is uh, exciting. We're gonna have. Okay, um, I'll put you on the air right now. Okay, we t- so today we have with us uh, Dr. John Martini. We're gonna call him Dr. Martini. He's a human behavioral specialist educator and author. And so I'm so glad to welcome you here today, Dr. Demartini. Uh, we need you. All of us need you. So <laughs> welcome to the show. Welcome to Real People of Orange County. Well, thank you for thank you for the opportunity. Uh, we're happy to have you here. We were just talking to Heather and getting an update and she's job hunting. And so that it can be at times a pretty demoralizing process. And, uh, you know, I think you just might be the right medicine for what we need today. Well, I hope so. That'd be great. So, uh, well, Dr. Demartini is in town. He's in the greater Los Angeles area because he's um, providing a public talk today on how to make more money and raise your income, even if you work for someone else. So we might touch on some of those topics, but you're also here for a three-day seminar that you do. uh, And maybe you can tell us a little bit about that as well. Well, the, I do another program that I do really all over the world called the Breakthrough Experience. And what that program is about is doing anything I can with the resources that I've accumulated to assist people in breaking through whatever limitations that they're experiencing uh, from doing what they really love to do. So uh-huh. anything that's in the way, I help them show them how it could be on the way. And I give them strategies and tools and methods and, and insights that can help them uh, break through the limitations and transcend the obstacles that they're facing. And, you know, no better time than the first of the year when uh, life change is fresh on everybody's mind. You know, to give a little bit of background about Dr. Martini, you really are a living example of human transformation. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how where you started and why you're qualified or so qualified to go around and help people make these breakthroughs. Well, I um, first of all, I, I did have a very interesting start. I had uh, was told I would never be able to read or write or communicate, never mount thing, never go very far in life when I was seven. And I ended up making it through elementary school with the help of the smartest kids, which taught me how to ask questions. And then when I, my parents moved from Houston, Texas to Richmond, Texas, uh, I lived in a very rural area where there was not a whole lot of smarter kids, and I didn't have a group of kids to help me through and I ended up failing and dropping out and kind of hung out on the streets and uh, eventually, believe it or not, hitchhiked out to California. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> when I was 14, I was I um, well, you were hitchhiked super, to California you were, so I could surf because I seemed to be decent on standing on a board. You were super smart in the street sense that, uh, that you came to California. I had street smart but not book smart. Um, my sister was the smart one. I was the not-so-bright one. Uh, and that carried on, and I ended up doing relatively well in surfing. And I lived in Huntington Beach, California, actually. Oh, be darned. And I lived there at the Golden Bear, behind the Golden Bear and in some of the buildings there. And hung out there and surfed and, and eventually made my way to Hawaii. And, and there I almost died. Really? Um, I, I came close to dying. If a, if a lady hadn't have found me in my tent, I wouldn't be here. And then I had the opportunity to meet an amazing teacher one night. I happened to go to this little class. I never went to class, but something told me intuitively to go. And I met Paul Bragg. And Paul Bragg is a guy that started Jack Elaine's career and many others. Oh, yeah. He's the amino acids? or the, Yeah, that's, I, that's, I the, that's the, the guy who did. And anyway, I listened to him in, in one hour with his one message uh, that one night, that one talk, um, opened up a doorway of possibility for me and helped me see new possibilities for me. That was the night I saw that I could do something. And he made me believe that I could someday be intelligent, that I could learn to read, and I could do something amazing with my life. And I can say, if the man was here today, I would give him a hug because he changed my life that night. And ever since that night, I've had a dream about doing the same. That's that what started me on my mission 40 years ago. So just just this one speech, this one day, we'll say, really changed everything for you. This one night, he he spoke... He said that the body must be guided by the mind, the mind must be directed by what he called the soul, and um, that if you listen to the voice and vision on the inside and don't let the opinions on the outside stop you from doing what you're really, truly inspired from within to do, you truly can do something extraordinary and make a difference in the world. And I was always told I was you know, never going to do anything, but that night he made me believe that I could read and that I could be uh, learned and, and, and learn something and be able to help make a difference in somebody else's life. So I, I, I set out on a vision to go and tr- travel the world and teach at that time, learn to, to read and teach. So up until that point, you really were um, other-directed. You know, people from outside of your own personal self were telling you what you would be. Um, yeah, I was sort of outer-directed, and I was also kind of a vagabond. Um, I was trying to expand my consciousness through uh, natural and artificial means in those days, <laughs> back in the 60s and 70s, so uh, early 70s. So all I know is that um, that night I saw a vision, and I actually have a famous painter out of Melbourne, Australia, who's painting that vision today. But that vision uh, of me speaking and, and doing what I do today, well, 40 years later, here I am. I'm still doing it. And I tell you what, I, I can't wait to get up in the morning and do what I love doing. Oh, that's pretty remarkable. That's pretty remarkable. Well, um, can we dive into some of, of the methods you use with the Breakthrough Experience? Certainly. Okay. Well, you know, I really believe that deep inside, inside everyone, no matter what they've been through, no matter what they've gone through, no matter what they're going through, they have a yearning, a, a calling inside that is based on what is truly most important to them. Everybody lives by a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most important to least important. And the things that are really truly most important, they're inspired from within to do, and they spontaneously do, and they don't need reminding. And this may be a 10-year-old doing video games, or it may be somebody else on a social, um, you know, uh, social media or something. But whatever it is, that individual has a unique set of priorities, and whatever is highest on their priority, this is what they spontaneously love to do. And any time they act congruent and in accordance and in alignment with whatever's highest, 
they build momentum. They gain energy. They awaken confidence. They develop leadership. They see things on the way, not in the way, and they become more masters of their destiny instead of victims of their history. Now, I'm not talking about immediate gratifications, but these are deep, meaningful inspirations that they want to contribute to the world. And everybody has them. Well, give me some examples of what some of those inspirations are. Well, everybody has something different. I mean, I I met a young girl in Melbourne, Australia, who was six years old that attended the Breakthrough Experience program uh, about a year ago. And, um, it, uh, you know, I, I didn't even really get to know her or notice her because there's a pretty good audience in there. And um, But her father brought her there, and she was six. Interesting. And she tapped into what that was that was meaningful to her. And so I didn't know it, didn't talk to her or anything else. But the following time I came back to Melbourne to do the Breakthrough Experience, she was seven. And she came running up to me at, the, at a break, and she put her arms around my, me, and she said, she says, Dr. Demartini, this is my new book. You inspired me to write a book called Start, and I'm going to travel the world, and I'm going to teach like you. And she wrote a book, published a book, is now doing professional speaking and getting paid. And she told me, she says, you want me to get my dreams, don't you? And I said, yes. She said, then I have a dream of being on stage and speaking in front of your audiences, and I know you're going to want me to get the dreams, so I want to schedule that with you. (laughs) And she was seven years old. How old is she today? She's seven still. She's not eight yet. She'll be eight this, uh, just another couple months. But this girl is an example. When she gives herself permission to be authentic and allow that to come out, uh, extraordinary things come out. And I've seen people of every age. I saw a 70-year-old man in Dallas, Texas, who accessed, after being retired for seven years, accessed literally a new vision and started a new consulting company with a buddy, looked literally five to ten years younger, and got inspired because he looked inside and realized that he had followed social idealisms to retire, but his dream was to really be of service. Oh, oh. And I really believe that deep inside we all have something that wants to make a difference, and I don't think that dies at any point in our life until this body's gone. I do believe that, that we have something, and the second we live it and we have a will to live, we don't have a will to die. And we have more fulfillment. When we do, we're less likely to be immediate, gratifying, and addictive in our behavior. Okay, so so I'm sitting here listening to this. I'm a 44-year-old woman. Heather, how old are you? Um, I'm 58. <laughs> You're 58. How old I'm 33. You're 33. And I'm sitting here going, oh, my gosh, I'm not sure I've figured out what my, what my passion is. What, how do we determine what drives us? Well, I, I say there's 13 criteria to help a person determine what they really value, what's really inspiring and meaningful to them. And their life demonstrates it. So all you got to do is look at what your life demonstrates. But these questions help. The first one is, um, and this, by the way, what I'm about to say is if they go to my website, drdmartini.com, they can get a free complimentary copy of what I'm about to say. And so they can do this as, as we speak here. We can actually do it. But it's just called the value determination. On my menu of my website, just value determination, they can download it and they can follow this. But the first thing they do is they, they go in and they ask, how do I fill my space? Because something that's really important to them, they keep around them. And when something's not, they throw it in the trash. So I look at what do they fill their space with, because what's important to them, they keep around them. They keep. They don't throw it away. And look at what the common threads, the three most common things that they have in their space. Then I ask, what do they spend their time with? What do they always make time for? They never avoid it. They always make time for it. Look at what those, those three common things are. 
The third one is what is it that energizes them? When they got more energy at the end of the day than when they started, they've been doing what in, is meaningful to them. What is it that energizes them that they, when they do it, they just, they don't, they, the day just goes by and they go, what happened to the day? Just, they're on fire. The next one is what is it that they always find money for? They always find money for things that are really important. I, I know a woman that bought more Jimmy Choo shoes but couldn't pay her bills uh, and her rent, but she had more value on her shoes than her own rent. So how do you help someone like that? Because that sounds more like a problem to me. Well, that, that was, in some respect, luck, luck, luckily she had a husband that was dedicated to building wealth. But, um, but if she hadn't had that, she would have probably been a very bind, and they probably uh, you know, got her out of that apartment where she was living. But you, you, ha- you live your values. You always spend your money according to your values, and whatever you value, you find money for. So that's the fourth one. So you look at what are the three things you spend most of your money on consistently. The next one is what is it you're most ordered and organized? Because everybody has an area that's ordered. It may be their social calendar. It may be their workout routine. It may be their, their, their work and their, maybe their studies. It may be their spiritual rituals or the yoga rituals. Whatever it is that's most really important to them, they order, organize it and order it. The next one is what is it they're disciplined and reliable and focused on that nobody ever has to remind them to do? In my case, it's research and writing. I, I've got it all around me. I love doing that. But whatever it is that somebody never has to be reminded to do, I identify it, the three things. The next one is what is it they think about, about how they want their life that's showing evidence of coming true. Mm-hmm. And the next thing is what is it they visualize about how they want their life that's showing evidence of coming true. And the next one is what are they talking to themselves about most internally about how they want their life that's coming true. The next one is what do they converse with other people about, uh, about what they want in life, and what do they keep wanting to talk about when they're in social settings. And the next one is what is it that inspires them, the things that are common to the moments when they've been inspired. And the next is what are the three goals that have been most consistently they're running their life by that's showing evidence of coming true. And the last one is what is it that when they go to a bookstore, what is it they beehive to and can't wait to read, study, or learn about? If you take those and answer those questions three times and get 39 answers and then look out of the answers that are repeated, and the one that shows up most and second most and third most are the three highest values in your life. So it's, it's, it's a pretty methodical process then when you break it down like that, isn't it? I, I've shared that with educational systems, governments, businesses, financial institutions, uh, almost everybody, sports people. When they apply that, they look and they go, oh, my God, that's what my life demonstrates. I said, well, that's what's important to you. And so often, people subordinate to people on the outside, inject the values of others into their life, and attempt to live somebody else's values and idealisms, and then they beat themselves up when they don't seem to be committed to it, and then they wonder, maybe thinking there's something wrong with them. When in truth, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just setting somebody else's goals, not their own. Well, one of the things that I, I, I've done that personally myself, not exactly the way you phrased your questions, but I do know in my life that I've tried other things. I tried to live other people's truisms. I've tried to study business and poli sci, and it didn't really work out. What I really like to do is I like to do radio, um, but it just seems like your foot gets slammed in the door every single time you try to uh, make the next step happen. How do you go from your list to actually fulfilling your list? Well, you know what I do is I'm, I'm, you obviously love radio. So what you want to do is you want to always ask this question because the quality of your life is based on the quality of the questions you ask. You always want to ask, how is whatever's happening to me today? How is it on the way, not in the way? How is it instructive and reflective, not obstructive and deflective? 
And how is it helping me become a master of my destiny in radio instead of a victim of my history? Always ask how whatever's happening is on the way and how is it serving you and how is it helping you fulfill your values. And there's always an answer. In every case I've ever worked, we found answers to it. When they do, it no longer becomes an obstacle. It becomes a momentum. <clears throat> Are you reflecting about that? <laughs> no, I'm, well, I'm very pensive. Yeah, I'm, I'm letting you go on because I asked last one. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I, I'm sitting here trying to find a path because I think it's a, it's a good example. Um, you know, people, people get stuck really easily. And, um, and so if they answer some of those questions, what if they have a hard time answering those questions for themselves? Well, the only reason I find that they haven't do I've been doing this for many years, and the reason they have difficulties is because they're afraid of the seven areas. There's seven fears that immobilize people. Maybe I can outline those? Yeah, sure. I would love that. All right. Well, the first fear is the fear of not being smart enough, intelligent enough, degreed enough, creative enough, imagined enough. In other words, you're, you're minimizing yourself to somebody around you that you think has more intelligence than you. And whenever you do, you'll second-guess yourself, and you won't speak up, and you're afraid to take action because you think, well, I don't know if I have the knowledge to be able to make wise decisions to be able to handle the challenges I face. And whenever you subordinate to somebody who thinks got more intelligence than you, you automatically are going to mobilize that area. And the key is that they don't have more intelligence. They just have a different area of intelligence. I'm, I'm, I'm quite ingenious when it comes to human behavior, but I'm really an idiot when it comes to technology, cake, cake, cake decorating, or driving a car. I don't do any of those things. So I'm really stupid in those areas, but I'm quite bright in the areas of human behavior. So everybody has an area of strength and knowledge and an area where they don't know much about it. So if you compare yourself to somebody with a different set of values and has a different set of knowledge, you're going to think, oh, I don't have what they have, and you're going to compare yourself. And this is the thing that immobilizes people, sitting in shadows instead of standing on shoulders. The second fear is the fear of failure. And again, this is a subordination fear, and you're comparing yourself to somebody you think has got more success than you. But the real truth is that you have success, but it's in the area of your own values. It may not be in the area that you're expecting, or it may be not the area that you're comparing, but it's always in the areas of your highest value. In other words, if you love doing radio, then you're damn good at being on the radio. You may not be great at business. You may not be great at financial management or cooking or whatever, but by God, you can get on the radio and you can touch people's lives. So that's what you have to look at where you are successful instead of looking at where you're not by comparison. The third one is the fear of not making money or losing money. And a lot of people are mobilized because they don't know how, and they haven't thought out a strategy of building wealth doing what they love. And the thing is, is, if you don't have a value on serving people, you don't have a value on yourself, and you don't have a value on what money represents, which is a means of exchange and to main sustainable uh, exchange, if you don't have a value on that, you're not likely to have money stay with you because money circulates in the economy from those who value it least to those who value it most. And you have to value money, and you have to value serving people, and you have to value yourself to be able to keep it with you. May I ask a question about the value of serving others? It seems to me that not everybody that makes money really values serving others. But for me personally, it's such a critical part of how I spend my time as being in service to others. How do you, how do you explain that? Well, the thing is that sometimes we uh, filter our reality sense through our own values, and we don't realize how other people are serving. We don't recognize it. That's all. You mean we but just maybe don't acknowledge they, it. They are serving, or they wouldn't be generating the income. Somehow, if money's circulating to them and ending up with them, they had to have served somebody to get the cash. That may not be what we think is right or what we value, but somebody does. 
And that's what we have to reflect and we have to open up to because I've seen people make enormous amounts of money doing something that I think is kind of weird and kind of ridiculous. But then when I stop and realize it, I realize that I may not be interested in what other people are and they have the needs for what these people are offering. And that's not something important to me, but at the same time, I'm not in their shoes. Okay. All right. So back on track with uh, the one of the f- number reason number four for the that was that was number uh, three. We did the fourth that. one is the fear of losing loved ones or the respect of loved ones. We can sometimes minimize ourselves and infatuate with people and subordinate to them and worry about what they think about us and fear of losing them, whether it be our parents or spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend. And then what we can do is we can stop doing what we really want to do for fear of what they'll do. And we can then, because of that, we can disempower ourselves and we'll stop doing our dreams. And I've seen this happen. I've, I've watched this happen in marriages. I've watched this happen between parents and children. Uh, I know people that have had dreams. I had an Indian woman in South Africa that had a dream of doing something, but her parents said, no, you're going to be a doctor. That's, that's it and set. And her heart was nowhere near being a doctor. And so she was in conflict over this. And she, she went to school until she got sick and nearly died to finally get out of that to get on with what she really wanted to do. Oh, so interesting. I mean, the um, mind over matter really does take over in these situations, doesn't it? I, I have a CD set called Mind Over Matter, Mind Over Body, and it's exactly about those issues, the unconscious motives that really run our physiology and create our symptoms to give us feedback to be authentic. Right. So, And when we're not in alignment, it's funny how it is our body that speaks up the quickest. It, our, it, body, our body is our first reminder. Our intuition is our second one. Our friends and, and social environment is another one. And then Murphy's Law comes in if you still don't get it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that you acknowledge Murphy. <laughs> okay. the, next, the next fear is the fear of rejection. And uh, the fear of rejection is basically, you know, assuming that somehow somebody else's opinion is more important than yours. But the ancient philosopher said that the, I'd have the, rather have the whole world against me than my own soul. Well, wait, who and, was that ancient philosopher? I made it up. Oh, so good then, job. <laughs> then I have another uh, law, what I call the law of lesser pissers. If you have a choice of pissing others off or yourself, you always have to let other people be pissed off because you've got to get on with your life and live with yourself. Oh, you like that one, don't you, Heather? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That one's, that one's one you can run your life by. <laughs> and by the way, if somebody's offended by the word uh, pisser, I always say it's nothing, nothing but a sacred acronym, purposely inspired spiritual service. I love that. Very, very good. Very good. <laughs> the, the next fear is the fear of not having the body, the looks, the, vibra- the, the vibratory, the vitality, the energy, the stamina. Uh, and so you're afraid to take action on something because you don't know if you've got the energy or the looks to do it. And I've seen a lot of people immobilized because they don't have the, the, you know, the perfect bot or the perfect this or that. But I always say that you're given the body exactly as you need to fulfill the mission that's most inspiring. And you've got to look at how it's serving you. But any time we compare ourselves to somebody else and subordinate to them and think they have something we don't, we're going to minimize ourselves and we're going to lose access and cloud the clarity of our own truth and our own highest value. And the last one is the fear of breaking the morals and ethics of some spiritual authority, somebody that's got a dictum that basically says, you know, thou shalt do this, when in fact that may not be what you're destined to do. That may be what they're destined to do. So you have to make sure that you go inside and let your own soul guide your your direction instead of necessarily subordinating to somebody that may be archaic and maybe not even in your own value structure. Oh, interesting. Um, that, that concept of vitality is interesting because you've touched on it before, that when you find what it is you love doing, you tap into an immense resource of energy. 
Well, Talk I always say that your vitality in life is directly proportionate to the vividness of your vision, and your vision is crystal clear to the degree that you don't subordinate and inject all the idealisms and values of other people into your life. When that's not injected and you're just pure you, your own being, then your vitality soars because you're now giving yourself permission to be what you really want to be and do what you really want to do and have what you really want to have. So when when people are in the seminars and they've got this nice three days to themselves, how do you help them tr- travel back into their own lives and deal with some of these obstacles that we know are already in everybody's lives? Well, actually, I, maybe I made an error. It's actually a two-day program. It goes from 8 in the morning to midnight and about 9 to about 7 on the weekends, usually, this program. Okay. But um, what I do is I there, – there's what we know of as conscious and unconscious, the history and the mystery, you might say. And, and I, I say we first have to go and start peeling away the onion on the conscious things that we know are obvious things in the way. But when we do, the unconscious comes up and becomes conscious once we peeled a few onion layers. And there's also other strategies, unconscious motives that we can identify, and I've, given, I've developed tools to help people uncover those. There's ways of finding out in our own language, kind of a Freudian slip mechanism that allow people to reveal what's going on inside. And so I'm constantly paying close attention to it and helping people get in touch with what those are. But as we peel the onion back, new layers of the onion are always there until they realize deep inside the true them is magnificent. I always say the magnificence of who you are is far greater than any fantasies you keep imposing on it. Oh, I like that. Um, but but when you get home and you have to do the laundry and you have to cook the dinner and you're faced with some of those those beliefs that people hold about you, um, where do they find where do they find their answers in those moments? Well, I always say that on a daily basis, it's wise to stop, reflect. This is the first thing in the morning I, I recommend. Actually, when you go to bed at night, I recommend that you journal all the things you can truly be grateful for. And every day there's something. Then in the morning, review that and think about what you're grateful for. And then ask, what are the highest priority actions I can do today that will help me fulfill what's most meaningful to me? And if you ask that question and write down six or seven of the highest priority actions you can do that day, and then start focusing on priorities, because people that do the ABCs, the highest priorities of life, they grow in self-worth, and they learn the art of delegating and giving themselves permission to do what's most inspiring to them. And then they want to surround themselves with people that they can delegate to. So if you're trapped doing something, it's not because there's on some force on the outside dictating. You haven't valued yourself. You haven't prioritized and given yourself permission to delegate those things on and go and produce more service to people doing what you love. Okay, so once somebody finds out what what it is they want to do that they love, um, do you give them strategies for kind of unwinding themselves out of the life that they're already stuck in? Yeah, I tell them that, that, that don't just be up. you know, find out how whatever you're doing is on the way, not in the way. First, how is whatever you're experiencing helping you get to the next step? Then start prioritizing and then start delegating. Because if you're doing ABCs, I guarantee your self-worth is going to go up. I've proven it over and over for 40 years. And if you start allowing yourself to delegate. I had a woman. Can I share a story? Oh, I would love a story. I, I, I was in Seattle, Washington. I was doing the breakthrough experience. And I had a lovely doctor, a woman there who was a doctor but was not practicing, and her husband was a doctor. And I said to her, she, she spoke up and she said, well, Dr. Martini, what do you do when you're caught, trapped with three children, uh, sitting there doing diapers, doing this, doing that with young babies and stuff? And I said, you're only trapped because of your own mind. And she said, well, wait a minute now. 
I, I've trapped because I have all these responsibilities. I said, you've chosen those responsibilities. Would you like to know how to get beyond them? And she was a little defensive because what she was doing is she was reading books on how to be a super mom written by somebody that didn't have a doctorate degree that was probably only making $20 an hour. And so she was trying to impose the values of that person onto herself and was trapping herself with a mentality that was holding her back. So I said, let's prioritize what you do in a day. Let's be honest. Let's not exaggerate. Let's just write down what you do in a day. And we made her list about 30 things she was doing in a day. I said, now next to it, put what it produces as far as income. And she kind of went, well, none of it. I said, now produce what it would cost to replace somebody to do that. And then I said, then next to that, write how much time is spent. And then on a one to seven scale, seven being the highest, one being the lowest, how much meaning does it give you? And we went through this whole thing in front of the whole group. So I let everybody do the same thing with her. And then she realized that she was filling her day with cleaning and laundry, uh, cleaning up the house, going and making errands, going to the grocery store, uh, putting her kids in front of video games, um, trying to uh, do odd things and cook, uh, just stuff that was 10 and $20 an hour jobs. Right. And when she stopped and looked at that, she goes, no wonder I'm angry at my husband for not helping me. And no wonder I'm angry at myself because I really have a doctor degree and I could be making like hundreds of dollars an hour and I'm sitting here doing $10 an hour jobs. My self-worth has gone down and I'm angry because I'm trying to live by somebody else's values. I said, let's prioritize it. Let's find out which is most productive because you're frustrated because you really want to be out there practicing part-time. She said, well, that's true. She got tears in her eyes. I said, let's organize it. Let's hire people to help you do all the things that are not meaningful and not really present with your children. She broke down in tears, and she gave herself permission to get out of the box of the person that wrote the book that she was trying to fill Supermom to. And she ended up changing her life, going back and working part-time, two days a week. And she started making enough money to pay for all of the people to help her. She actually had extra money to put towards her children's uh, education. And she had more time for the the children. Mm -hmm. When she did, she was no longer despised. She was inspired, not angry with her husband. Her husband was pleased, and she was back doing what she was capable of doing. So when she gave herself permission to do that, she wasn't trapped. And it was just about really outlining everything she was doing and figuring out that she didn't really want to be in that place. She really was... She was reading a book written by somebody that never made more than $20 an hour and was trying to be a super mom and holding herself back because the truth is uh, anytime you can do something that produces more, that's more meaningful to you, it's, and you can delegate things, it's wiser to delegate. Now, you're not going to delegate your love for your children, but you can certainly delegate taking out the trash, going to the grocery store, and cleaning the house, but you, you, and even cooking. But you, the, the caring of the child you keep, and she did. But she wanted to make sure she got the others off her back because that's what was weighing her down. And she was resenting being a mother because of it. Wonderful story. Um, I'm going to pause for a minute and just say if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Real People of Orange County. I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. And we have with us today Dr. John Martini, and he's sharing inspired stories about how people have changed their lives. Uh, Dr. Martini is a human behavioral specialist, an educator, and an author. He speaks all over the world in uh, over probably almost 60 countries and has written over 40 books and has 70 courses that one could take about uh, self-empowerment 
and uh, increasing self-worth. Dr. Demartini, talk to me a little bit about the resources on your website that people can go to and, um, and find access to some of this information we've been discussing. Well, the, the website, which is drdmartini.com, um, D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com, Dr. Demartini, D-R, uh, is filled with information. It's an educational website. Uh, it is also informative in the sense of it lets people know what we're doing and, and events that are going on. But it's, it's, there's hundreds of radio shows, television shows, newspaper articles, magazine articles, uh, other articles that I write on almost any topic. If they go to Demartinipedia at the top, it's kind of like a, a Google. You can type in anything, and anything I've written about, any topic that might be of help, you can pull it up, and it will go right to it. But in there is just a, a vast information to help people empower all areas of their life, whether it be finance or business or relationship or health. It doesn't matter. I've been researching for 40 years on anything that can empower people's lives in all areas. So I always say any area of your life you don't empower, somebody's going to overpower. So the website is designed to educate and to help people and also be informative and let people know where we're doing programs and talks, like tonight in Los Angeles, um, on how to make more income and how to prioritize your life and to release things that aren't producing for you. And that talk is a public talk. That's, that's for somebody that just wants to pop in and, and hear you. Um, fee is really small, costs uh, $35 to attend. Well, it's actually 45 at the door, but, oh, but anybody who mentions KUCI, anybody who mentions that will get automatically 30% off right there, $10 off. Okay, wonderful. And that is at the Fairmont Miramar in Los Angeles. Yes, and, that's tonight, uh, 730 to 930. Well worth driving up there and uh, checking it out. Have you ever run across somebody that you couldn't help? Well, I don't believe there is such a thing. I, I, I believe that you may not be able to help them for what they came for, but there's always somebody you can help. And I believe that, like Albert Einstein said, that the greatest teacher is exemplification. If I live an inspired life, some of that rubs off on people. But I really believe that I can teach people questions that they can ask themselves so they can help them see things on the way, not in the way. So I don't know of anybody we can't help, but we may not be able to help them to the degree or in the way that they initially might want. But I know we can help people because I really believe that there are certain tools and certain perceptions and actions and questions that they can help anybody. I mean, they're, they're common sense. I don't think anything we've said on the radio so far is not something that could be helpful. I believe it can help people. Yeah, I agree. Um, one, uh, your most recent book that came out is called Inspired Destiny. I was really interested in that title because um, I have a child who I believe has a, maybe a small learning disability. She just has some difficulty. It's not yet been diagnosed after you know several rounds of testing, but just a little bit of focus issues. Um, we use the term on your bio of dyslexia. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, if you would. Well, I believe that, that you know, I, one of the things that I'm definitely focused on is education. I'm, I get to work with the uh, educational system in many places in Africa and also in Australia and the United States, and, and I'm very inspired by that. And I'm, I'm amazed at how many labels are being put on kids today. Um, oh, I, I, I'm just amazed. Sometimes a child will go to school. They will end up not being inspired by the curriculum because they don't see how the curriculum is going to help them do what they are, think is important. They then are kind of frustrated, and any time a person doesn't fulfill their highest values, they feel they want immediate gratification, and addictive behavior and compulsion start happening. And what happens is the, t the teacher is not inspiring always. 
and the teacher's not communicating the curriculum that's inspiring, and so the child's frustrated. So then what happens is the teacher or the counselor puts some, a label on them and calls them attention deficit, but that same child can sit at home for six hours in front of a video game or six hours in the social media without any problem, totally focused, totally present. So in the areas of their highest values, they excel, but that isn't being measured or that isn't being worked or taught or honored at school. So what I do is I show people how to take the curriculum that they're going through in school and how to link it to their highest values so they can see the classes in the way, on the way, not in the way, and help them see that they can actually use it to their advantage. And the moment they do, the moment they do, I mean, it's not that hard to do. I've trained people all over the world on this. The moment they do, they go up into classes, they get more engaged, uh, they get better grades, they're more participative, there's less labels, there's less uh, distractions and drugs and all the other things that come along, and they get focused again. So it's asking new sets of questions. And so education, and a lot of the symptoms we have are because of not seeing how what we're doing is important to us and making sure we prioritize. It's very important to do that in education. Okay. In, in the book, Inspired Destiny, t- tell us a little bit about how we do that as parents and our children. Well, the first thing, I, I, can I share another story again? Oh, I would love sure. another story. I, I, I've got a story that just popped in my head as you said that. Um, I'm sitting in doing the Breakthrough Experience in Sydney, Australia. And there's a guy in the front row, his name is John, like mine. He's got a shaved head, he's with his wife, blonde hair, probably 40s, I guess. And he says, man, I, I, I got a problem child. I said, what is he? He's disobedient, he's been labeled now, you know, disobedience and, and uh, all these labels they've given him, right? He's problems in school, he's defiant disorder, all these names. And I said, all right, would you like to know what to do with that? He said, absolutely. I said, let's first go and identify the values of the child. Let's look at what the child is inspired to do, spends their time spontaneously. Okay? We found out that the child loves, believe it or not, this little game called cricket. Cricket. You mean the, like the, the somewhat like baseball? It's like a baseball yeah. kind of <laughs> modified kind it's of baseball It's the one that sport. when they take a break, they have tea. I lived in Australia for a year. Okay. <laughs> well, what happens is he loved cricket. His dream was being a cricket player. He lived in a kind of a fantasy world of being this big cricket player, right? So the, the father's trying to get him to do all these other things and calling him disobedient because he's kind of cramming down this child's throat um, information and expectations, but not in the way where the child sees he's going to be better at cricket. Because just like when you're selling something, if you don't communicate in the values of the person you're selling to, they turn, turn away and they walk somewhere else. And children are no different. Right. And they have to be respected for their own unique values instead of you imposing them. And it comes out at such an early age. It's so oh, it's, it's right there from the day they're born. We, we can so identify clear. children's values from the day they're born by looking at what their mobiles are attracted to and repelled. And it's, it's obvious. So what we do is as their values are evolving, the, teach, the teacher and the parent, in my opinion, are wise to look at what those values are and master the skill of communicating in those values. Instead of imposing values and trying to make them wrong and right, and do moral projections, it's wiser to go and find out what the values are and then communicate in their values. When you do, they are now more adaptable to what you want them to learn. Okay, so give me an example of what communicating in their values looks like from a parent to a child discussion. Okay, so let's say this child's just into cricket, and he's 11, almost 12 years old, and if you asked him, so what class are you having difficulty with? He says, well, I'm having difficulty in math. And I said, so can you see how studying math is going to help you become a great cricket player? And he goes, no. I said, well, then you're not going to want to study. And he goes, that's right. I hate school. I hate, this. I hate that class. 
And I said, all right, so let's just look at something here. Do you think that cricket players have to know numbers in order to keep score? And they'll go, yeah. And do you think that they have to wear a number on there as a uniform? That's a number, isn't it? Yeah. And do you think that when they hit the ball, they have to do it, and they have to swing at a certain speed, and that's a mathematics. And, you, and so when they do, the angle that they do it determines where they go and what the, the points they get. That's mathematics. And I basically sit and ask him questions until he can see the relationship between mathematics and cricket. And once he sees at least 20 to 30 links, his mind opens up, and he's, all of a sudden he'll get engaged and he'll say, I want to study that. Because everybody wants to learn what is meaningful and most important in their values. That spontaneously wants to be learned. So once you link it, then they're receptive. And then you don't have a disobedient child. You have cared enough about the child to communicate what's important to you in terms of the child's values. What if their values are a little bit more unproductive, like video games or, I don't know, social media? Well, that's because we haven't, we haven't grown up enough to know that that's, what, that's what's valuable today. Yeah. <laughs> Our generation is still caught in an older time. We have to do it. Every generation has to get caught up. But the real truth is the video games can be very valuable if they're used wisely. So instead of condemning them and saying, get away from that, you're not allowed to do it, you want to figure out how to use the video games to help them learn. And when you do and link things to the video games and put programs in the video games, they're receptive. But you have to find out what's important to them instead of trying to fix them. Okay. So tell me some more about what we can touch on in the book Inspired Child. Well, Inspired Destiny. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. In the, in, in the Inspired Destiny, which was designed originally for teens and young adults, we expanded it to include most age or any age. Uh, what a person is there is we help them identify what is important to them. We help them prioritize their life and show that they can, no matter what the age in, no matter what the age is, they can learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, they can get, when I was nine, I had a company and I was hiring, I had nine employees when I was nine years old working in a landscaping company for the neighborhood. I love that. <laughs> so there's no reason why you can't do it right from age, whatever age you're starting from. Because I believe you can do that, and I think people are doing it without even realizing they're doing it. But I basically show them how to more efficiently and effectively master their lives. So I ask them what they're, what's really important so they start organizing their life. I show them how to own the traits of people that they subordinate to, because the second you think they have something you don't, you'll minimize. But the second you realize you have what they have, you start to reflect, and then you stand on their shoulders, not in their shadows. And you give them permission to listen to your voice as much as you've been hearing theirs. So I teach them tools, and I teach them how to overcome fear and guilt and shame and pride and grief and all the emotional baggage that holds people back and that they use excuses. I show them how to be inspired, how to organize their life, prioritize their life, and even get paid to do whatever they love to do. Because I really believe you can get paid more doing what you love than any other thing. Give me an example of helping them overcome shame. Well, I always say that shame is basically an assumption that they've caused more pain than pleasure, more loss than gain, more negative than positive, positive to themselves or somebody else. And if it's guilt, it's to somebody else. And they're assuming and holding on to this idea that whatever they did is wrong or bad or etc. So I ask them, whatever they've done, make a list of them. And then I ask them, what specifically did they do and how did it help themselves and others? And what did they learn and what did other people learn from the experience? And stack up the benefits until the benefits equal the drawback, because there's always benefits. And once they do, they shed, yeah, they shed the shame. And instead of sitting there and beating themselves up over it and holding themselves back for the rest of their life, 
they liberate it. They go and thank the person for the lessons. They go and communicate their appreciation for the person to participate in their growth, and they move on with their life, and they learn from it. Interesting. Um, one of the things that we discussed talking about today was how to get a raise, and even if you're self-employed, you know, increasing your wealth. Give us, give us some pointers on that one. Absolutely. The first thing to do when you're going, if you're, if you're working for somebody else, is to know that, that, that whatever you're wor- whoever you're working for is a company, and they're in business to make a profit. And you need to know what their profit margin is by asking the question, you know, what is that profit margin? Deserve to know that. Then what you want to do is you want to go and find out what you have done that has been an achievement, an accomplishment, a service, and productive to the company, and make a list of all those things. Don't ever go to a company for a raise with entitlement. Go there with empowerment. Go there knowing the facts, not the fiction, and, not, and don't go there because you've been there long, because you don't deserve money just because you've been there. You deserve money because you're producing. And go in there with facts of what accountabilities you've taken on since the last raise, what achievements you've done, what new things have you've learned, and bring in data to show them that this is why I'm asking for more. Then make a list of all the benefits to the company beforehand so you know what are the benefits to the company of giving you this, this raise. Define clearly what the raise you feel is fair and have a, a range of what it is so you can negotiate. Make sure that you have a real expectation. If you can't go somewhere else and get the same income from what you're asking, you may be unrealistic. Because if you can walk away, you can usually negotiate the deal. Then make sure that you think of the person that you're communicating to and make sure you communicate in their values. Because whenever you communicate in their values and help them get what they want, they're more receptive and open to your ideas and your willingness to get more money. Then make sure you rehearse the part, see it in your mind's eye, and make sure you address the part and play out the role that you intend. If you do those things, you'll increase the probability. But the most important one is making sure that you know what you've accomplished, achieved, and new accountability since the last race. You've got data. Right, right. Um, I'm fascinated by one of the... uh Thing, one of the lines that you say is why New Year's resolutions don't work. Everybody in January tries to set a set a new. Um, to, I was I was curious about that. Well, I always say that if it's really, 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 really important to you, you'd already be doing it. Right. And so if it's if you come up with some sort of fantasy resolution, most most of them, like eighty-seven percent of them, are are dropped within two weeks. The reason being is because. You basically feel shame and guilt over the holidays because you've kind of blown some stuff. You've kind of spent all your money. You've kind of overeaten. You've done all these things, and you're now thinking, oh, I'm going to now work out. I'm going to save my money and all this stuff to compensate. But they're not really truly high on your values. If they were, you'd be doing it already. Because I find that whenever you set a goal that's not congruent with your highest values, you set up self-defeating talk and internal dialogues that kind of self-defeat. You have to set goals that are meaningful, that are true, that are authentic, that are ones with true strategies, and you have to break them down into small enough bites because little bites make big dreams. So most of the people that are setting these New Year's resolutions, are, they're, they're just incongruent with what their actual personal values are? When we did a survey of 75 people in a program one time on what New Year's resolutions they did and which ones they kept and which ones they didn't, and we did the value system, it was a perfect correlation. When something is really important to you, you do it. When the why is big enough, the house take care of themselves. So in other words, they would probably find evidence that they were already performing those things that were important to them. That's it. And they, and they were, they, or they had some event occur that it's now important to them. 
Oh, like maybe a health event or a heart yeah, attack or something? sometimes we create new voids. Uh, I had one girl that all of a sudden on the holidays recently, uh, her boyfriend dumped her. And so in the process of doing it, she now has a, a value on going into relationships and doing things. So she went herself and got herself in shape, and she started working and getting her hair done. And, getting, you know, she's acting the market again. So before then, she was taking the guy for granted. So she didn't have that as a value. So now she's gotten in shape, she's done this, because she has now a new value. Interesting. Um, one of the topics that you discuss in your seminars is unifying the family dynamic. Give me an example of why that's necessary and, and what you mean by unifying the family dynamic. Well, um, understanding it is more accurate, but what I would say is that, that, that inside every family, there, there's complementary opposites. So if you look very carefully in your Boy, family, isn't you that brothers true? or sisters, or whatever, you'll find <laughs> that there's somebody out there or a collection of somebody out there that represents the opposite of you. And the summation of all the complementary opposites make up the love of the family. You never, if everybody was exactly the same, one's not necessary. So there's always a complementary opposite. So you have to realize in families, if you're going to appreciate family dynamics, you have to appreciate that and not try to project your values and expect everybody to live according to your values. Because if any two people are exactly the same, one's not necessary. So you have to make sure that. And if you want to unify the family, you have to realize you have to honor the reflections of the opposite. And so I have exercises in the Breakthrough Experience that I teach people. One is make a list of everything that you're upset about in somebody in the family, and then write down whatever it is specifically, and then where and when you do it in your own life, in your own form and fashion. You mean and you, you'll sit you there write... and you'll go, oh, my God, I'm plucking the mode out of my own eye before I'm plucking it out of somebody else. I'm reflecting, and I go, my God, I'm judging them because it reminds me of something I'm judging in myself. Okay, yeah, that's what I, I was wanting to clarify. So you, if, if you find your gripe, you really find that you're the one doing yeah, the Yeah, we, we only get button pushed by things around us that represent parts of us we're not loving, that we're wounded by. So we have to go in there and first own what we see in them. Then we have to ask, how does it serve us, and how is it on the way, not in the way, to neutralize the charge we have on it. And once we do, we're actually grateful for it, because they remind us of what we're judging ourselves and what we're getting to work on in our own life. And then once we realize, we ask, what's the benefit of when we've done it to other people, we clear that, and then we don't get bothered by anybody else when they do it. And we start to love people for who they are, and they turn into who we love because of it. One of the things that fascinates me about you is that you travel all over the world and you you perform these breakthrough experiences with people in so many different countries talk to me about what you find is similar in in humans in every country and maybe some of the things that you notice are different we have about three minutes left in our time well all i can say is that every human being deep inside wants to make a contribution wants to make a difference and wants to fulfill what's most meaningful in their highest values that's that's common they want to be loved and appreciated for who they are and they want to be able to do something that makes a difference, and they want to be able to do what they love and love what they do in life. That's universal, whether I'm in Tehran or whether I'm in Turkey or I'm in Japan or China or the U.S. or Australia. It doesn't matter. That's common. And people want to be able to uh, master and fulfill those seven areas of life we covered. They want to be able to empower themselves intellectually. They want to grow intellectually. They want to develop themselves in a career. They want to develop their wealth. They want to have a relationship. They want to have influence. They want to have a beautiful body and healthy, healthy body. And they want to be inspired. And I, I, what I'm dedicated to is doing whatever I can to help them fulfill all those areas. You know, that is so beautiful when you look at it uh, from the standpoint of you get to see all different types of people from all over the world, and then you see that beautiful common thread. That must be really inspirational to you as well. I, I have a, a collect. I was born on Thanksgiving Day in America. I have the largest collection of gratitudes of anybody I've ever met, 
And I can tell you right now, I've got one of the most blessed life because every day I get to watch authentic people open their heart and be appreciative of life and go do what they love in life. What a great job I got. Oh, you really do. So fascinating, Dr. Demartini. I'm so thankful that you spent the time with us here today. Uh, any parting thoughts that you want to share with our audience? Well, I, all I can say is that no matter what you've done or not done, you're worthy of love. Make sure you, you say that to yourself every day because it's the truth. And hopefully, somewhere along the line, I get to meet whoever's listening live. Maybe tonight in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, here at the Fair, Fairmont Miramar, or maybe somewhere in some city. But if they go to the website, maybe they can keep up where we are, and maybe we can join up and meet sometime. All right. I love that. Thank you so much for being with us today. And Thank we'll you see so you down much, the road. And um, I appreciate everything you're doing, and I appreciate giving me an opportunity to share. We're no ha- problem. We're happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm fired up. Are you? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it, I'm fascinated. Dr. Martini. all of these things he said I've heard and yet I you know, I definitely know I have a bit of that stuck nature inside that that are the people that go to the seminars that try to get the help. Do you feel stuck sometimes too? Oh, all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I mean, my, for me it just seems like I can only get to a certain level and no further and 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 it never seems like it's it seems like it's a door, not an opportunity all the time. So I'm not sure. We didn't really get into that part with him. He just kind of said it. But, um, yeah, that's the, that's the hard part is trying to turn doors into opportunities because they're doors. It is. But, you <laughs> know, I I like the fact that the way he posed those the initial list of questions that he shared with us, um, the last last four or five questions really ask you to list out things that if you look at your list, you come up with your top three values. And I, I can yeah. see where that could be the case. I don't know if I'm disciplined enough to sit down and make that list. Are you? Well, I know the three values. I mean, if you look at my hard drive space, you'll see music and my radio shows. And then if you look at my room, you'll see clothes all over the place. So- I was just going to say, I, I didn't want to answer the question about you know what you have in your life because right now I have everybody else's laundry. <laughs> And yeah, not, not even just my own, but everybody's laundries, everybody's backpacks, everybody's but all in my space, and you know, not enough space for just me, which is kind of indicative of you know, and, and in general, how, how yeah, I feel. And, the, and then how the clothing comes in the fact of of my living my values, like what he was saying, affirming what he was saying, was the fact that now that I've lost a ton of weight, I can actually get in the fun clothing again. So, so maybe you want to treasure the clothing and, and hang it up and put it in a way that <laughs> makes you feel like you're shopping in a boutique now. I don't. Yeah, that that could be a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Or just have it scattered like I do. Oh, Either well, way. I loved I loved the time we embrace spent with, the chaos. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I got that going on too. I love the time that we spent with Doctor D Martini. And, he was awesome. And again, his website. I was really generous of him to spend so much time with us. His uh, website again is drdmartini.com. Doctor D R D E M A R T I N I. What a generous, generous. Uh, guest we had today. Yeah. So um, up next today is Counterspin, and, and then we have Planetary Radio with well, not Matt today. Oh, we don't. <laughs> no. Oh gosh, you we, should have prepped me on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, well, we have basketball, so we have. Oh, so Matt Matt got preempted. I'm he's lucky. getting preempted. I didn't, I didn't get preempted. How did I get yeah, so lucky? Yeah, I don't know how, but it, yeah, Counterspin's coming up in about three minutes, and then we'll finish about half of that, and then we're going to have women's basketball at five thirty ish, and then men's basketball, I believe, at around seven. 
seven. Where is the game? Is it? It can't be over at Brent Center because no, we're having a, a big event there. They're having today. some kind of karate thing. It's, I have yeah, no idea. What's it's going a it's on. a martial art mixed martial arts um, event. Mixed yeah. martial arts. Yeah, I, I I don't agree with John McCain often, but mixed martial arts to me looks like human cockfighting. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> okay. we gotta go. All right, Matt thank Kaplan's you. up next. Bye. Thank you, Heather.